break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 21st of January, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. Going to be talking about some protest issues in Burkina Faso, the state of evictions in the United States. But before we get to either of that, we turn to Sudan, where the movement against the coup remains in the streets. Yesterday saw continued large protests all across Sudan in opposition to the current coup government, just in the wake of visits to the country by U.S. officials as a mediation process conducted by the United Nations is ongoing. The situation remains in something of a stalemate that speaks to the potentially significant turning points that could be coming in the upcoming weeks. Yesterday's protests were called by the Khartoum Resistance Committee one of the grassroots structures that are the backbone of the anti-coup movement to commemorate the 71 protesters killed by the coup government since it took power in October of 2021. Major protests took place in cities and towns across the country, and in the northern part of the country also involved highway blockades. As is becoming the norm, the coup government used bullets, tear gas, and detentions to disperse the protests to the best of their ability. At least two high schools in Khartoum were attacked by coup officials who tear-gassed classrooms, beat students, and held others at gunpoint, accusing students of quote-unquote antagonizing the cops as they tried to clear barricades set up by resistance committees. In Darfur, at the Zamzam camp for internally displaced people, there were large protests as residents demonstrated against attacks on the camp that have killed several people recently and led to attacks on livestock. The protests were shot at by the rapid support forces that form a key part of the coup government. All across Darfur and other parts of the country, the anti-coup movement has charged the government with allowing the security situation to deteriorate to more or less terrorize the population and reduce the scope and size of mass protest. All this comes as the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Africa, Mali Fee, and U.S. Envoy for the Horn of Africa, David Soderfield, visited the country two days ago in quite the propaganda trip. The two U.S. officials made quite the show of quote-unquote supporting the quote-unquote pro-democracy movement. They met with the Central Committee of the Forces for Freedom and Change, an umbrella coalition of opposition forces, and the Sudanese Professional Association, an important part of the broader anti-coup movement. They also allegedly took a tough tone with the coup leaders and threw their weight behind the U.N. mediation process. Behind the rhetoric, however, it's important to note the reality that hides in the nuances. The U.S. is now stressing how they would like to see a quote-unquote civilian-led government and stressed with the coup leaders, who apparently agreed, the need to update the 2019 interim constitution that was the framework for the pre-coup government that took office after mass protest ousted the previous leader the same year. 
However, the anti-coup movement is demanding the scrapping of that constitution and no role for the coup leaders from the military in governance. So while allegedly in solidarity with the movement, the U.S. is actually trying to use its position to preserve a role for the coup leaders at the center of the process and more or less return to the pre-October status quo that is now rejected by the streets. This, of course, is not surprising. The coup leaders are strong supporters of the key things the U.S. wants the normalization of relations with Israel, and the signing up of Sudan to the IMF World Bank-style austerity measures that have destroyed much of the developing world. The movement in the streets is certainly less amenable to these types of policies and currently is blocking the main highway between Sudan and Egypt to protest the rising of electricity rates and further continuing to raise demands for fair distribution of wealth. Sudan also has a long history of solidarity with Palestine, so normalization could also suffer by giving more power to the people to determine the direction of things. On top of all that, the UN process lacks credibility in the street and also has the same basic orientation of maintaining a role for the coup forces and whatever comes next. So while the US and the international community are withholding funds from the coup regime, it's not to pressure them to meet the demands of the protest, but to come up with something credible enough that they can call it democracy and move on with integrating Sudan into their plan for a pro-US regional balance of power. So, similar to what we noted earlier in the week, there's something of a stalemate at play, and things are coming down to a test of wills between the sides, and whether the power of the movement can overcome the coup's monopoly of force. The good folks at Eviction Lab have done an analysis of eviction rates in the months before and after the end of the CDC moratorium on evictions. Overall, they noted that they, quote, observed 20.4% more cases filed in the three months after the moratorium than over the final three months that it was in place, end quote. And they also noted that, quote, evictions remained well below historical averages after the moratorium was lifted at their highest level in the second month after the moratorium ended. The 48,387 eviction cases was still only 63.4% of the historical average, end quote. So evictions are, predictably, up, but still not at the pre-pandemic level. However, they go on to detail that, quote, looking at the numbers city by city shows concerning trends in many areas of the country, especially where renters have few legal protections, end quote. And they relate, for instance, that, quote, between August 27th and November 26th, 11,799 eviction cases were filed in Las Vegas, about 126% of the historical average. Eviction filings exceeded 75% of the historical average in 11 cities, including Columbus, Tampa, Indianapolis, and Milwaukee. And they also additionally note that, quote, by contrast, Filing rates were much lower in other cities, particularly those that maintain state or local eviction moratoria through some or all of this period. In New York City, for example, the 8,687 eviction cases filed over the three-month post-moratorium period represented almost 85% fewer filings than the historical average. End quote. Why the differences in the various parts of the country and why have things not quite yet reached the pre pandemic status quo here on evictions, well, the eviction lab surmises a few things. First, that the rental assistance that was sent out by Congress has encouraged more landlords to not evict people and just get paid instead. However, as they also note, as money from those programs start to run out, it may lead to increased evictions in the places where it's had the biggest impact. They also note other federal assistance may have helped people pay the rent and also affected the rate of evictions, things like the child tax credit, which is also now gone. So same issues about increases in eviction soon also applies here. 
They also detail the expanded right to counsel and support for tenants in many places has also helped. They also note that since evictions tend to happen in the main in a handful of neighborhoods in each city, and that in those neighborhoods, rental demand may still be weak, that also could be a factor in why evictions are acting the way they are. And Eviction Lab also notes that surveys have revealed more landlords are looking at non-eviction ways of dealing with back rent rather than moving to eviction right away. And finally, they note that the eviction filings numbers might hide larger numbers of actual evictions because they aren't showing the effective evictions that happen when leases expired and illegal evictions. All in all, this underscores the importance of assistance for renters, the impact it's had at preventing a total tsunami of evictions, and how the lapsing of many of these programs threatens the right to housing in a major way. Authorities in Burkina Faso have banned a protest scheduled for Saturday against the government's inability to stem the tide of al-Qaeda and ISIS who are fighting for control of territory in the country. The government in Burkina has also arrested two leaders of a separate protest slated for Saturday in solidarity with the people of Mali against ECOWAS sanctions inspired and supported by Western nations. And this also comes in the wake of what's being reported as a foiled coup attempt by some soldiers last week. Towards the end of 2021, the government repressed large protests along similar lines as those that have now been banned. Also, Burkina Bay protesters electrified anti-imperialist opinion around the world when large protests blocked a French military convoy and a young boy took down a French drone, earning the nickname the Sniper of Kaya. Overall, what's happening in Burkina Faso has to be linked to a larger movement across West Africa over the past couple of years. Huge masses of people have risen all across the region in opposition to French neocolonialism. Most Francophone West African countries are locked in extremely exploitative relationships with France and the West more broadly that underpin extreme poverty, and their governments are totally complicit. Further, there is growing commentary across the region that questions whether or not France, the U.S., and other Western nations, who are the backbone of the so-called anti-terrorist campaigns, really want to defeat terrorism, or if they're just using it as an excuse to maintain ultimate control of the region. In Mali and Guinea, this has led to military coups where new governments have gained support from a large number of people around programs that are foregrounding establishing security, distancing themselves from French neocolonialism as well, and addressing inequalities. It seems this was perhaps an inspiration for some elements of the military in Burkina who may have been planning a coup. While it isn't being portrayed this way in the mainstream media, there is a profound movement across West Africa against the imperialist stranglehold on the region and the consequences of such, which have led to such destitution and war. Events in Burkina Faso just further underscore the depth of that process. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthroughnews. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 